0: The Writers Forum. I'm your host, Mike Toos, and today I have the privilege of interviewing Bishop Mark Andrus about his recent book, Brothers in the Beloved Community. Mark was born in East Tennessee, but currently resides in San Francisco and is the Bishop of the Eighth Episcopal Diocese of California. Welcome to the show, Bishop.
1: Thank you so much, Michael. It's an well, honor and a pleasure to be with you and joining your guests.
0: Well, let's jump right in, if you don't mind. And for listeners who may not be familiar with who Thich Nhat Hanh was, can you give us a brief uh, biography?
1: Well, Thich Nhat Hanh uh, currently is a 95-year-old eminent uh, Zen master and teacher who has is living in uh, Vietnam in Hue at the monastery where he was ordained at the age of 14, uh, One prominent American magazine, when uh, Thich Nhat Hanh returned to Vietnam after a long exile, uh, said that the monk who taught the world mindfulness has returned home. Uh, He is known by millions of people and loved, especially for his work in teaching people how to be mindful, how to cultivate an inner awareness and a consciousness that has balance, and integrity, and peace as, it's, um, as their characteristics. But it's important to say that he uh, was an early proponent of what has come to be known as engaged Buddhism, which means that um, we shouldn't think of him as uh, removed from everyday concerns of justice and peace in the world, but rather that his mindfulness uh, comes forth as action in the world for justice, so he's um, very prominent as a proponent for peace at the during the Vietnam War. Uh, that's the occasion of his contact with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, he was not advocating for either the North or the South, but for peace for the whole country. And um, it's an it's a common phrase, global peace, but he really worked for it. Okay, Um, He worked on environmental concerns. He worked in the area of gender equity. Uh, He's really um, a person who lives both lives to the full, that is, the life of contemplation and mindfulness on the one hand and social action and justice work on
0: the other. You know, I apologize. I, I thought I had read recently that he had passed. I know he was in bad health. So I might preface my question by saying who he was. I appreciate that he's still still around, and you have you detailed this in the book, and you've just touched on it a little bit. But can you explain to listeners what it is that he brought to Buddhism that was different and challenging to the established tenets of Buddhism?
1: yeah, I, I think uh, it's it's common that people who are located in one world religion, one world, uh, have imperfect uh, knowledge of another, uh, and sometimes that knowledge amounts to just a, a caricature. Um, and you know, so we could we could say that is true for many Christians living in the United States about um, Buddhists living in in Vietnam. That would be a normal idea. But it's also true that uh, many Buddhists uh, had the same concepts of their own religion that he sought to dispel, uh, starting with his early teachings uh, in in the 50s and the 60s. The idea that uh, nirvana or release from uh, the concerns of this world was something that took you out of the world. Uh, He said that that's a A really kind of gross misconcept that um, Nirvana enlightenment takes place in the middle of this world. And one of his books is called No Mud, No Lotus. (laughs) So without the mud uh, at the bottom of the pond where the roots are, uh, there's no beautiful lotus blossom on the surface of the pond or the lake. Uh, So it's the beauty of our lives, the enlightenment of our lives, is connected to everything about our lives, including our suffering. Um, mis- That's connected to another misconcept that he worked to dispel, and uh, that is uh, the Buddha, um, the historic Buddha, is quoted as saying that life is suffering, and it's a very pessimistic view of life. And Thich Nhat Hanh said that is not what he said, that is not what he taught, that is not what he meant. But rather that every life has suffering in it, and that we can we can easily affirm that all of us have um, mental suffering, we have physical suffering, we have the suffering of loss when beloved people uh, are are gone. Right now, there are many uh, children and adults who are getting in touch with what is being called climate grief—the uh, suffering that comes from seeing the world. Uh, uh, in the travails of, of climate change. So um, what he helped us understand is that Thich Nhat Hanh helped us understand that the suffering in the world is the context. Our um, everyday joys and sufferings are the context out of which enlightenment blossoms. And uh, so those are two. Um, and, then, and then the third is connected to this idea of engaged Buddhism uh, the idea that um, that was prevalent when he was a young monk was that monks were needed to be removed from the everyday concerns of the world they they would would be sullied by those concerns and um, prevented from the work that would release them from the world all that was a misconception um, and so very early uh, in the in the fifties and the sixties, uh, Nhat Han started uh, a school for social work where uh, young um, women and men were being trained. Lay people were being trained to engage in uh, social work with peasants, with the poor in Vietnam, to help them help themselves, uh, li- lead more stable, more sustainable lives. And um, what he Taught them what the young people he was teaching in his schools, who were in his schools, he was teaching them that this is um, merit work, uh, that it, it is uh, work that is as worthy as sitting in contemplation, sitting in prayer. Uh, this work was uh, of a piece with the mindfulness that he's so famous for
0: having taught. Mm. Well, most of our listeners hopefully will be familiar with Martin Luther King and the challenges that he presented for civil rights, and to some degree, obviously, challenging uh, Christianity, um, at least mm-hmm. white Christian ministers and that in the South. Is this one of the yeah. things that bound these two gentlemen together, that they're challenging Great. the established? Great question. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Great question, Michael. The, uh, I think we can say that there's a real parallel uh, between Thich Nhat and, and Martin Luther King Jr. in that regard, that uh, Martin Luther King saw the Church uh, the black church and the white church of the 50s and the 60s as um, a force that needed to be activated to work for justice. So, I call um, so while Tigon Han's Buddhism is called engaged Buddhism, I call uh, Martin Luther King's Christianity prophetic Christianity. Mm-hmm. So, um, he identified deeply with the prophets and of the Hebrew scriptures and um, sought to get the Church uh, to be a real force in bringing justice for black America and for poor America as well, white and
0: black. Well, this, uh, is... So
1: yes, I think that's a very clear parallel.
0: And was, would you say that, that King was um, reinvigorating, if we will, the social gospel that we had seen at the turn of the century, the early 1900s?
1: yeah that's that's such a great point uh he was as you know uh michael schooled uh in his graduate work and in his uh well his graduate theological work uh, in seminary and also in his doctoral work in uh, the what you call the social gospel uh so Rauschenberg and others he were in strong influences in uh martin luther king jr's life and that I would, I guess, I would say that the social gospel quote social gospel needs to be renewed <laughs> regularly. <laughs> um, it's 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 tough, right? If yeah. you if you really are confronting the the powers of the world that are inimical to God, you're going to get severe pushback and um, you'll suffer consequences. Yeah. So we naturally start to shrink away from uh, engagement with injustice and become more comfortable with life quote in the church. So yeah. uh, and we hear this all the time uh, ministers are told uh you've gone from preaching to meddling. Mm. And now you're being political. And uh my my sense of that is uh, Martin Luther King Jr would say and I completely agree. There, there is no, no such thing as human life that is not political life. We, yeah. uh, as, as the great Greek philosophers said, uh, humans are political animals. Uh, we, that meaning we, mm-hmm. we live in the context of community, of society, of culture. We, we don't exist individually and uh, away from each other. That's a fiction. So we need to embrace it and ask, what is the right kind of political life? What is the best kind of political life? What is the life political that aligns with um, the dream of God?
0: Well, you know, we live in such polarizing times, at least I certainly think so, even among religious systems. So for those that might puzzle over what a Buddhist monk and a Baptist minister might have in common Mm -hmm. from a spiritual standpoint, and I think you've touched on this a little already, can you, can you enlighten them? From a spiritual standpoint? Yes, sir.
1: Um, that's one of the questions that would consume, <laughs> that has consumed uh, Thich Nhat Hanh in the decades since Martin Luther King's assassination in 1968. Uh, he is the most prominent figure within Buddhism that I know of, who has consistently stayed in the conversation about um, seeking to understand Christianity from, from his own point of view. He's written about prayer. Uh, he's written about the Eucharist, uh, the, the Holy Communion, the Mass. He's uh, written about Christmas. He's written about Jesus. Um, you know, all of this has really um, been important to him to to seek to understand, and he's found over these decades, uh, real points of affirmation where he can say, so he's a Buddhist, he's not a Christian, <laughs> he's a Buddhist, but he can say that uh, Jesus and Buddha are brothers, um, as he, as I've called him and Thich Nhat Hanh. So what does that mean? Uh, he believes that there is an ultimate reality and that uh, we have the ability, you and I, anyone, to be able to touch that ultimate reality at any moment in our lives. And this, we would say, I think, as Christians, is uh, what prayer is. We uh, we are given the incredible gift of access to the divine through prayer by turning to God at any moment in our lives. And Thich Nhat Hanh affirms that. And he believes that that is his life. He believes that that is... Um, was Martin Luther King Jr.'s life, and he thinks this is uh, life in the beloved community.
0: Well, um, so me,
1: I think that's the essential piece.
0: Okay. Well, let's jump into the book a little bit further here. You, you talk about the friendship between these gentlemen, but as you point out, they only met mm-hmm. in person twice. But you make a right. strong argument that they were more than mm-hmm. mere acquaintances, and and I think um, you you define their friendship as a quote current of love that is spiritual visible to what is called the eyes of the heart, close quote. Am I remembering that correctly?
1: Yes. uh, Very, very apt quotation. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think we can see visible signs even in their brief uh, encounters through writing and those two encounters in Chicago and Geneva, Switzerland, Um, warmth and humor mutual respect. Those are outward signs. Uh, When we see this between people, we go, oh, look, they're friends. Uh, That's easy for us to kind of affirm. But the deeper affirmation of friendship or kinship between them uh, really starts to become manifest so many years after uh, Dr. King's assassination in that 1914, I'm sorry, (laughs) 2014 quotation uh, from Thich Nhat Hanh that really set me the, the course for my research for this book when he said uh, that the day that Martin Luther King was assassinated, I was devastated. Mm-hmm. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. And I made a deep vow to continue what Martin called the beloved community. And I believe I have kept that vow to this day yeah. and that I have always felt his support. Okay, so um, there's a lot, of the, lot there that made me ask questions mm-hmm. like how did he keep this vow uh what what could we see in Thich Nhat Hanh's life over those ensuing years between 1968 and 2014 that would constitute keeping a vow to maintain the beloved community and then what does it mean to maintain the beloved community and then finally um and to your question Michael the the um the meaning of what he's when he says, "I believe I always felt his support." Mm-hmm. Well, that's really intriguing. So, um, if we have a person that we love in our lives who has died, we often say um, things similar to that. Yeah, and it often means I review our relationship in our memory, in my memory. Uh, I go back in my memory to when we were together or I read letters that I received from this person or look at something that they gave me or that that is an artifact of our our love together and and that is supportive of me it gives me hope it it, it awakens feelings of um affection and love and it strengthens me uh, but I I wondered if he meant more than this mm-hmm. And um, that is, as in the uh, Roman Catholic uh, Christian understanding or Orthodox or Anglican, the the part of the world I'm in, um, the idea that saints, uh, holy people, continue to live, uh, and they continue to have beneficent effect in the world. And I wondered if he meant that. Uh, And it became pretty abundantly clear as I um, as I researched that question, that yes, he meant that um, Martin Luther King continues to exercise in an active way his beneficent um, influence on the world, um, and and I believe that Mar- that Thich Nhat Hun viewed uh, he said it to uh, Martin Luther King in their meeting in Geneva uh, that Martin was what he called a great bodhisattva. A bodhisattva is like a saint Mm -hmm. within Buddhism, and that uh, the bodhisattvas continue to keep their vow, the bodhisattva vow, is to work tirelessly for the enlightenment of all beings and uh, the freedom of all beings, and that uh, Martin Luther King continues to work for the freedom of you and of me after his death. And so their friendship, uh, which had, in the phenomenal world, such brief expression, continues to deepen, and continues to develop, uh, and continues over the, uh, the decades uh, since 1968.
0: Well, now let's jump back into, we we'll go back in time a little bit, because actually, if I recall correctly from your book, their first contact was mm-hmm. a letter that Thich Nhat yep. Hanh had written to Martin Luther King back in '65, and you know right. I'm, old, I'm old enough to remember what he wrote about. Can you explain yeah. what that was about and what Thich Nhat Hanh was trying to convey to to Martin Luther King?
1: Yeah, so so you remember those incidents, yes, and, I do, and how uh, shocking they were. Um, so what Michael for the listeners is referring to is the self-immolation of uh, Buddhist monks and nuns uh, starting in the early 60s and uh, through through the mid 60s um, so those had been widely reported there were photographs of uh, famous photographs of a monk um, doused in in gasoline and lit a fire of himself and burning um, in in protest um, over uh, religious suppression in Vietnam, South Vietnam, and um, those were widely reported as, along with the pictures, the journalism would call them suicides. Right. And what um, Thich Nhat Han wrote in an open letter to Martin Luther King was: "These are not suicides. Uh, a suicide is despair. It's giving up." It's the, the shadows have overwhelmed a person. And he said, no, this is the opposite of that. This is total commitment uh, and it's compassion. And these are the most compassionate, the most committed people. They're simply taking that commitment and compassion to an ultimate expression. It, it, now, many of uh, the people who I worked closely with in, on this book uh, they found this a very difficult concept. Mm-hmm. Suicide, um, taking your life, no matter what, uh, amounts to suicide in Christian-influenced culture in the West. And the I, they, many people that I spoke with, in this couldn't square uh, these actions by Buddhist nuns and monks with um, with these acts that of courage and compassion. That Ticknor and called them, but interestingly enough, uh, Martin Luther King saw it and agreed with him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so that that's what's, that's that's where they started yeah, uh, their yeah, relationship yeah. with each
0: other. All right. So, obviously, the central theme here, which you build up over time in the book, is what you refer to as the beloved community. Is it possible? to give us a brief description of what you mean by that, and then we can talk a little bit more about it.
1: Yeah, so the Beloved Community is um, the, the easiest way for a Christian to, like me, uh, to start to grasp the Beloved Community is to say it's the equivalent of the Kingdom of God. Okay. And the term came from um, an American philosopher... In the, at the end of the 19th, uh, turn into the 20th century, a man named Josiah Royce. And he um, wrote a book in 19. it was published in 1913, called The Problem of Christianity. And in that book, he, um, he tried to take central terms or theological concepts of the New Testament. And translate them into his time and the time that he saw dawning, in order to help the world face um, the increasing problems that he saw coming. Uh, and essentially, I think he—you could say—he saw World War One coming. So, 1913 is just before the, the outbreak of World War One. Um, this, this. Kind of scale of war and intensity of war that we had never, the world had never experienced before, and which has only been uh, eclipsed in, in a war that follows in World War II and, uh, and other wars after that. Um, so he saw the, the avalanche of technological innovation coming. Uh, and of course, a lot of that is war innovation. Uh, the, the, a lot of our technological innovation we know comes out of um, the ingenuity around more efficient, more powerful war. And he saw that, and he also at the same time saw that religion was becoming increasingly muted in um, in its ability to affect um, decision makers, political decision makers, who who could uh, prosecute a war. So the the ability of religion, especially Christianity, in Europe and the United States, was waning. And, and, and you know, to say that in 1913, to look at Christianity now, um, it was still such a much more powerful voice then. But he saw that uh, the um the official voice of Christianity was uh, was much muted by that time and so he was he was asking how can the the voice of god still help humanity and so he tried to translate like break concepts of the new testament out of the new testament so that everybody could understand them and one of those was kingdom of god and he called it Beloved Community. And by that, he means a, um, a community that includes all beings. Um, at that time, it was all human beings, but Thich Nhat Hanh expanded that to, in- to include all of life um, in a mutual, interdependent relationship characterized by love and peace. So that's, that's the Beloved Community.
0: Well, you know, as you explain that, um, I can't help wondering about somebody we, we just recently lost, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and whether he would, in your opinion, uh, have been a contributor to that beloved community.
1: Oh, it's such a such a good question. Uh, I think without question, love was at the heart of so much that uh, Desmond had to say, and um, if you ever heard him preach, there was... There was kind of one sermon. <laughs> it wasn't that he was um, just lazy or, or cribbing from himself. Rather, he had one central message, and it was that
0: uh,
1: God loves all, A L L. Uh, God loves all, and he would he would then enumerate who is all. He loves all black and all white. He loves all women. He loves all men. He loves all gay. He loves all straight. He loves all rich. He loves all poor. And he would lean over the pulpit as he would, uh, would enumerate this, and people would just uh, roar in response uh, every time he would say all. And uh, so that's the beloved community. It includes all people in a mutual, interconnected relationship of love and peace. And uh, I think Desmond spent his entire life promoting what uh, would be called the beloved community.
0: Well, for those of us that, uh, you know, don't live as, as uh, visible lives, I guess we can say, how is it mm-hmm. that we contribute to the beloved community, that, you know, the wow. rank and file among us?
1: Yeah, rank and file like me and you, yes, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's such a good question. You know, at one point um, Desmond was not a famous person. (laughs) There you go. At one point, he was a a young black person uh, in South Africa um, who was leading a a deeply insignificant, as it were, life because it was forced to be insignificant by the um, mechanisms of oppression, and and uh, yet he was living a life uh, worthy of the beloved community that maintained and repaired the beloved community then. and So what would that be like? Well, he sought always to live respectfully of other people. Um, He, he sought to be attentive to other life. So, you know, that when you're in the presence of a person who pays attention to you, uh, you feel it. It, It's a very different, um, it's a very different thing to be in the room with a person who can genuinely listen which most people you know we we're, we're not so good at, and who he, he deeply pay attention to another life it it we become like flowers that open up with uh, with sunlight on us when people pay attention to us and and um, that's an expression of love and Desmond did that from an early age he uh you know he told a story about uh, Trevor Huddleston he didn't know who he was, but he was uh, uh, Desmond was a little boy, walking hand in hand with his mother, um, and they were on a sidewalk. And uh, this white Anglican clergyman uh, was walking in their direction. And in South African apartheid society, uh, they would have needed to get off the sidewalk and let this this uh, prominent white man pass. And instead. He uh, Huddleston got off the sidewalk and doffed his uh, cap to um, Desmond's mother, and um, and you know Desmond, the little boy, asked who was that, and she she told him, and he began to learn, and that was part of why he began to respect uh, the Anglican clergy, but it taught him a lesson about what a genuine Christian action looks like. It's respectful. It's loving. Um, it It doesn't uh, it doesn't uh, support hierarchical differences between people, um, and, and so I think that's to 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 take that as my guideline. How can I support the beloved community? How can I help repair it? Um, every time Dr. King mentioned the beloved community, almost every time he also talked about nonviolence. Yeah. And reconciliation. So if you and I uh, would take the actions of nonviolence and reconciliation as our guides in our daily living, so nonviolent thinking, that's a (laughs) that's a very big deal. Like, what goes on inside me? Can I say that it's nonviolent? Um, And so when when he wrote his famous, King wrote his famous letter from a Birmingham jail, He explained to these white clergymen in Birmingham uh, the steps that he and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and others took to plan a nonviolent public social action. And one of them was to purify their motives. And I, uh, you know, so that's actually looking inside me and asking what are my motives for doing this? Are they really nonviolent in their seeds, in their germ? Um, or do I want revenge? Uh, do I want uh, payback for that which has been done to me? So, so the nonviolence, the, the repair of the beloved community starts in the heart. Uh, and that's available to you and to me at any moment of our lives. We can turn to our own motives our own um, actions or the the springs of our action and, and seek to nourish the loving parts of it. So this is what Thich Nhat Hanh says. He says that there are seeds in our hearts. And um, he does uh, think that we should pay attention to what we let in to our hearts. So that's something you and I can do too. We can... Uh, he says, oh, why do you watch violence on television or look at violent, violence in social media? Uh, you should be careful about that. You should kind of guard that, that negativity from coming into you. Okay, so we do that. But then he says, these seeds get in. You You can't scrupulously keep this out. You find these seeds inside. What do you do with them? Well... You don't perpetuate uh, violence, even within yourself, by trying to rip out those seeds. You instead turn your attention to the seeds of love, and water them, wow. uh, nourish them, and uh, let them grow. And it's interesting, when I read that uh, from Thich Han, I was reminded of one of Jesus' parables, yeah. where he says, um, you know, he, he tell, tells a little parable, a little story, about um, a farmer who has farm hands, and um, they planted wheat, and overnight uh, the evil one plants weeds among them, and there we are. It's the same picture as Tichmanon is describing, and so then the next day uh, they get up and they see these weeds growing among all through the wheat, and they go to the to their to the farmer and say did you give us bad seed to plant? It's, it's adulterated. There's all these, all these weeds in there. And he says, no, no, these are good. It was good seed. This is the action of the evil one. And they say, okay, well, what should we do? We can go in and and pull these out. We can hoe them out and get rid of these weeds. And he says, no, that would do violence to the wheat. Let it grow. Let them grow together uh, give put manure on it, nurture it, and the angels of God will take care of this in the harvest well it's it 's a slightly different story, but it, it's so parallel uh, so what I need to do inside myself is to act nonviolently even with the things that um, are within me that are are negative and um, um, Injurious. I, I need to turn my attention to that which is beautiful and loving and good um, and, and seek to limit the negativity that comes into me. Wow.
0: Well, unfortunately, this is all the time we have for today. I could talk, we could talk for another half an hour easily. You've been listening to Writers Forum. I'm Mike Toussaint. Today we've been interviewing author and bishop Mark Andrus about his new book, Brothers in the Beloved Community. The friendship of Thich Han and Martin Luther King. Thank you, Mark.